The Old Testament lesson for the 11th Sunday after Trinity is from Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a children's story that we've loved a lot in our house about a little brown squirrel. Maybe I've told you about this before, but I'll tell you again because it's a great story. It's a story about a little brown squirrel who's going on a, a walk in the woods with his dad one day. And as they're making their way through the woods, the dad pauses and says to the little brown squirrel, Say, little brown squirrel, have I told you today that I love you? Little brown squirrel said, no, you didn't tell me that you love me, but thanks for saying so. And they make their way through the woods, exploring and having a good time. And the little brown squirrel begins to wonder to himself, 
Why does my dad love me? And so he runs around in a circle as fast as he can, and he says, Dad, do you love me because I'm so very fast? And his dad says to him, little brown squirrel, no, I don't love you because you're so very fast. He goes rummaging around in some bushes, and the little brown squirrel comes out with some nuts and berries and says, Dad, do you love me because I'm so good at foraging? And his dad says, no, I don't love you because you're so good at foraging. The little brown squirrel kind of pauses for a moment and stands up tall and struts around a little bit, puffs out his tail and says, Dad, do you love me because I'm so very handsome? His dad says, no, little brown squirrel, I don't love you because you're so very handsome. Well, the day wears on like this, and the little brown squirrel thinks of everything he can, all the reasons his dad might love him. They make it through the end of their walk, and towards the end of the day, the dad takes the little brown squirrel home and lays him down in his bed of leaves and tucks him in at night and kisses him on the forehead, and this little brown squirrel is closing his eyes. His dad says to him, little brown squirrel, I don't love you because you're so very fast or because you're so good at foraging or because you're so very handsome. I love you because you're mine. I love you because you're mine. It's a beautiful story. It's a very sweet story that teaches us something very important about love, something that every parent knows, that love, in order for it to be love, has to be unconditional. If there are conditions on love, if there are reasons why you love someone, then it is not love at all. It's something else. Imagine what that would be like if the father had said to the little brown squirrel, why, yes, little brown squirrel, I love you because you're so fast, because you're so good at finding nuts and berries, and because you're so handsome. What would happen one day when the little brown squirrel was no longer so very fast, or not so good at finding nuts and berries, and not so very handsome? Would his father's love have run out? Of course not. Love does not have reasons. Love gives that terribly unsatisfying answer, I love you simply because. Not because you've done this or that, not because you're so great, but just because. God gives us family relationships, especially the relationships between parents and children, and between husbands and wives, to show us a dim reflection, a dim reflection of his love for us. You know that throughout the Bible, the images that God uses to show us his love are family images. He starts with being our Heavenly Father. This is how Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. He loves us the way a father loves his children. Jesus says, if you who are evil, <laughs> if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He gives us those parent-child relationships to teach us something about the unconditional nature of love. It's also built into the way we think about marriage. You've noticed, I'm sure, that in marriage vows, we don't say things like, I will love you as long as you're attractive, as long as you're kind and affectionate, as long as we get along. We don't say things like that. We say, I will love you as long as you're alive, <laughs> till death us do part. The love that we swear to love in marriage has no conditions on it. There are no reasons given. We don't say, I love you because of this or that. We simply say, I promise to love you. Those relationships, beset by sin, beset by our wickedness and frailty, nonetheless give us a dim reflection of God's love for us, which has no conditions, which does not find reasons in what you or I have to offer. There is nothing in us that makes God love us. He loves us because. It's a very important thing to know about love, which helps us to understand what's going on 
in our lessons today. It helps us to understand what's going on, first of all, in the story about Cain and Abel. Now, the little brown squirrel was trying to find the reasons why his dad loved him, and it was a pretty innocent thing. He wondered whether it was any of the things that he had to offer. Maybe that's why dad loves me. The story with Cain is not quite so sweet. Cain thinks that he knows why his heavenly father loves him. He thinks that his heavenly father loves him because of something that he has to offer. And he has a lot to offer. It's true. He is, after all, the firstborn of Adam and Eve. He's the first human child born of human parents. Maybe he's even the son of promise. Remember the promise given to Adam and Eve that their offspring would destroy the power of the serpent. Maybe that's Cain. Maybe that's who he thinks he is. He's older than his brother, Abel. Maybe he's better than Abel. It may be true. Maybe he's a better farmer. Maybe he brings better produce. Maybe Abel has never come before to offer sacrifices before God. And now here he is. And Cain, suppose he was there every day. How would he feel about this situation? I have something to offer. And my brother Abel... He's worse than I am. Whatever it is, whatever the reasons that Cain has worked up in his mind as to why God loves him, they all amount to this, that God ought to love him, that God owes him something, that God has a debt to pay. And so when, Abel, when Cain offers his sacrifices and his prayers, he is with his lips and the offerings he brings, he is saying thank you. But his heart is saying something far different. It's saying something much more like, you're welcome. You're welcome, God, that I'm so great. You're welcome that I'm here offering you the things that you need. You're welcome that I'm a wonderful person. Cain is offering lip service to God while his heart is far from him. It's a dreadful situation for Cain to be in, and he finds out how dreadful it is when God does not regard his sacrifice. Here's what the text said. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. God was not pleased with the offering that Cain gave because it was not an offering that came from thanks. It was an offering that was expecting something in return, an offering that was based on the premise that God owes him something. Cain thinks very highly of himself, and when he discovers that God does not think so highly of him, he encounters a crisis. When God's displeasure with Cain, comes into conflict with Cain's vainglory, his pride, there's a crisis. Cain has to decide what to do. He has two options. The first option is the obvious good option, the right choice. He can repent. He can see his own unworthiness. He can look to God and say, I owe you everything I've got. You owe me nothing, not even the life and breath that I have. I'm very sorry that I've been proud. Humble me so that you can also exalt me. Receive my apology, receive my penitence, and forgive me in your mercy. That would have been the right choice for Cain. But instead, what did he do? He thought about how his brother Abel reminded him constantly of God's displeasure. It was a thorn in his side, knowing that God had accepted Abel's offering, but would not accept his own. So what did he do? He schemed to get rid of that reminder. He tried to get rid of the reminder of God's displeasure so that he could once again live in pride. And he took his brother out into the field and murdered him so he wouldn't have to think about it anymore. Of course, Cain discovers that there's no hiding. There's no hiding from God's displeasure. Whether we experience it now or later, God's displeasure comes home to roost. And so the right response for Cain is repentance. 
You can see how the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector in our gospel lesson, you can see how that's the very same story. The Pharisee is right that God loves him, just as Cain was right that God loves him, but he's wrong about why God loves him. Now, it's important to look at this story and see it correctly, because we tend to think of the Pharisee as kind of a scummy character. He's so proud, and we can see into his heart, and so we immediately don't like him. But if you were standing back in the temple, and you saw the Pharisee over here and the tax collector over here, you would have looked at them, and you said, that Pharisee, that's my kind of guy. He always does what's right. He's humble. He doesn't boast about himself. He goes to church all the time. He gives and doesn't expect anything in return. He goes above and beyond in tithing and fasting. He doesn't live a fancy, uh, exaggerated life. He's a humble guy. That's my kind of guy. He's a great church member. He's exactly the kind of guy you want around. And you would have looked at the tax collector and you would have said, that guy is the scum of the earth. Look at him. He's all gaudy, dressed up in fancy clothing and wearing lots of jewelry. He drove up in this fancy car that he bought with money that he extorted from poor people like you and me. That guy's terrible. He's the scum of the earth. We don't want him around. If you saw them without seeing into their hearts, you would have despised the tax collector and you would have thought the Pharisee was a fantastic fellow. And so it's no surprise that the Pharisee thinks that also of himself. And of course, there's nothing wrong with being humble and going to church and giving your offerings. There's nothing wrong with fasting and living an upright life. What's wrong is thinking that that's the reason why God loves you. This is the basic mistake that the Pharisee makes, thinking that because he's a better man than the tax collector, that is why God loves him. And also, even further, that that must mean that God does not love the tax collector. The Pharisee gets it all wrong. Because, of course, God's love is the one unchanging thing in all of these stories, in yours and mine. It does not matter the lives that we live. It does not matter how we appear outwardly. It does not matter what's in our hearts. What matters is God's love, which is steady and unchanging for you and me. But if we, like the Pharisee, think that we have earned God's love, that we deserve it, that he owes it to us, then we're gravely mistaken, just like the Pharisee was, who went home unjustified. We tend to think about this behavior, the behavior of the Pharisee, we tend to think of it as works righteousness. I'm sure you've heard that term before, works righteousness, the idea that you can somehow earn God's love. But I think there's something a little bit different going on in these stories today. Because at least in the case of works righteousness, where somebody is trying to deserve God's favor, somebody's trying to earn God's favor, at least that person cares about what God thinks. Just like the child who is trying to earn his father's pleasure, at least that child cares what his father thinks. What's going on in these stories is something a little bit different. Both Cain and the Pharisee aren't trying to earn God's favor. They both think they deserve it already. They think they don't have to do anything. They think that God already loves them because of who they are. They don't care, as a result, about what God thinks of them. It's more like this. Instead of being a child trying to earn his father's favor, it's more like a worker who all he cares about is getting his pay. He doesn't care one bit about his boss. He just wants to walk away with a paycheck. That's how Cain and the Pharisee are thinking about God's love, something that is owed to them, after which they do not need God anymore. This, of course gets it all wrong. It's not that Pharisee, the Pharisee and Cain are caring too little about what God thinks of them. I'm sorry, it's not that they care too much about what God thinks of them. It's not that 
By living a pious, outwardly upright life, the Pharisee cares too much about what God thinks of him. It's that he cares too little. That tends to be the problem in our world. It's not that people care too much about what God thinks of them, and you know this instinctively. Quite on the contrary. It's that God, we care too little about what God thinks of us. We think that he owes us the things that we have in our life. We think that he owes us happiness and contentment and peace of mind and comfort and pleasure and a good life. We think he owes us those things. Also, the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. But by taking an attitude of pride towards God that he owes us, we end up not caring what he thinks about us at all. We just want our paycheck and to go home. We don't want to owe God anything. We don't want to owe him a thank you, much less obedience. If that's how we are when we come to church, if that's how we are when we sit here in these pews, when we offer our prayers and our praise, then we are just like Cain and just like the Pharisee, offering lip service to God, saying thank you to God with our voices and with our offerings, while our hearts are saying something much more like you're welcome. If that's the attitude of our hearts, then we ought to repent. We ought to turn away from our pride. We ought to be humbled by the mighty hand of God. Why? So that he can exalt us. Remember, the love of God for you, which has no reasons, which is just because, which is unconditional, that love of God is the one unchanging thing in all of these stories, in your story and mine. And it is a love that wants to exalt you, that wants to give you every good thing, that wants to bless you and make something great of you. But if our starting place is that God owes us, that we're already great, that we don't need much help from him, maybe just a little bit, then we get it all wrong and we cannot receive from him his goodness and his blessings. Let us repent for those times that we have been proud, that our hearts have said, you're welcome, while our lips have said thank you. Let us recognize the depths of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. His unchanging love was dying to have you receive it, dying on the cross, pouring out body and blood for you to cover all of your sins, to fill you with every good thing, to bring you home. That's such a gift that shows us what God thinks of you. He thinks so highly of you, not because of anything you have to offer, but simply because you're his. Hold that constantly in your minds and in your hearts. Look to the cross to see the answer to the question, why does God love you? Don't look at yourself. Look at the cross and see Jesus and see there his love for you beyond measure. Not because of anything you have to offer, but because of everything he has to offer to you. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.